Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. The word bush is used to describe the backwoods or a naturally undeveloped area. The word itself comes from the Dutch word bos, which means forest. Many indigenous people all over the world have lived in remote areas of the bush for thousands of years, and as a result have come to learn survival skills needed to do so. Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, and Alaska are known for their bush and lifestyles associated with it, each having bush varying in terrain, climate, and definition. In Alaska, for example, where there is roughly 57.7 million acres of wilderness, the bush may refer to a community that is only accessible by means of more elaborate transportation and therefore lacking a road system. And 82% of communities in Alaska are not accessible by road. While in Canada, the bush often refers to large undeveloped forested areas and swamplands. To go bush, while this phrase can refer to reverting to a feral nature, it is also used when choosing to leave one's normal surroundings and lavish possessions for a rougher lifestyle, while being cut off from communication with the outside world. Some might say to go bush is to live an adventurous life on your own terms, while still being closely connected with nature. While the bush definitely provides many challenges, it can also be very rewarding. That is, if you can survive it. Bushcraft, or skill at living in the bush, is taught in order to increase one's chance of survival and relies minimally on any sort of equipment. It can include knowledge of fire-making, cordage-making, natural navigation, water procurement, shelter-building, knowledge of animals, plants, and trees for food and medicinal purposes, as well as indigenous cooking. Another large part of it is understanding how to respect the environment. Bushcraft helps us to find our way back to old indigenous knowledge, which once upon a time we all relied on. There are numerous biological benefits for immersing oneself in the bush, which has only created more evidence for the theory of biophilia hypothesis. Psychologists describe biophilia as an innate love for the natural world, universally felt by all. The biophilia hypothesis is based on the fact that our separation from nature is relatively recent within the last 250 years, and that we have not yet adapted to this nature deficit. As a result, we experience increased levels of stress, anxiety, and impaired attention levels when we are not surrounded by nature. Urban settings are filled with stimuli that require constant directed attention, which heavily depletes the limited levels of attention we have. Aside from improving our awareness, spending time in nature is linked to both cognitive benefits and improvements in mood, mental health, and emotional well-being. It is good for the soul. It not only makes our bodies healthier, but also it positively impacts brain regions responsible for processing stress. It helps us to be better problem solvers, and it increases our creativity by limiting the technology, like our phones, which steal the capacity for both from us. Research has shown that if you take a break from all of your gadgets and go for a walk, you allow the prefrontal cortex to recover which results in bursts of creativity, problem-solving, new ideas forming, and also feelings of well-being. Not to mention, walking through a forest has proven to increase levels of lymphocytes, or cells in the body that fight viruses and various diseases, as well as the increased expression of anti-cancer proteins. Ultimately, the more time we spend in nature or the bush, the more we are able to not just live our lives, but thrive. One known to thrive in the bush all too well is the iconic Bushman, also known as Tree Man, Bigfoot, Stone Giant, Yeti, Yowie, and Sasquatch, to name a few. Its existence predates the name Bigfoot, coined in 1958, and even the petroglyphs created by the Yokuts on the Tule River nearly 1,000 years ago. Dr. Melba Ketchum, a research scientist who specializes in forensics and genetics, came to a conclusion about the origin of Sasquatch after a five-year-long DNA study. Dr. Ketchum stated that while the genome sequence shows Sasquatch mitochondrial DNA to be identical to modern Homo sapiens, Sasquatch nuclear DNA is a novel unknown hominin 
related to Homo sapiens and other primate species. She concluded that the North American Sasquatch is a hybrid species created some 15,000 years ago, and the result of males of an unknown hominin species crossing with female Homo sapiens. Perhaps Sasquatch heard the call of the wild and chose to evolve in such a way to fit in with nature so seemingly well, and that its purpose is to remind us of our interconnectedness and the responsibility we have to our planet as well as to each other. After all, the bush forces us to rely on and to understand ourselves. When we have a deeper understanding of ourselves, we can then form a profound connection with the world around us and finally show respect and have admiration for our surroundings and our planet. Today on Love from the Hip, I have Tom Seward here with us from Sasquatch Island. Tom will reveal indigenous wisdom of Sasquatch, the relationship with Sasquatch and the tribes, as well as offer advice for those who are also looking to investigate Sasquatch themselves. Plus, he will also share his own personal encounters with Sasquatch in the bush and so much more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Peach fuzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits, leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast, and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best, and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Tom Seward of Sasquatch Island here with us. Thanks for coming into the studio today, Tom. Thanks a lot for having me here. In my language, Galakasla. Greetings to everyone. Beautiful. And speaking of, can you tell my listeners which tribes you descend from? I belong to the Kwakwakiwak tribe from northeastern Vancouver Island, otherwise known for a time as Kwagyoth or Kwagyutl. And my mother is a full-blooded Cree from Saskatchewan, central Canada, the Plains. Awesome. I will not repeat that. <laughs> well, you always got to say it like this. Do the walk of the Kwakwakiwak. Say the whole thing. Do the walk of the Kwakwakiwak. You'll never forget how to say a tribal name. <laughs> so, Tom, when did you first learn of Sasquatch? Probably my earliest childhood memory in Alert Bay, where I was born and born and raised for my first seven years of my life. We had the graveyard filled with uh, memorial poles, otherwise known as totem poles, and you'd see the puckered lip 
sleepy-eyed, outstretched arms, big breasts, carving, and we knew it was Chonacha, wild woman of the woods, our boogeyman, because we're told, you behave, Tommy, otherwise Chonacha's watching. And at nighttime, if you misbehave, she's going to come stick big hairy arm in the window and grab you and shove spruce sap in your eyes so you can't see, put you in her basket in her back or her sack and carry you deep into the forest where she's going to go to her invisible home, boil you up and eat you. So behave. Scary. I mean, we were just told about the hand underneath the bed, but wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were scared. So straight. you were well behaved then. Oh, yeah. Even my kids, <laughs> I brought them up with it. There you go. So how long have you been doing the work that you do with Sasquatch? I guess I started advocating for Jonah, the Sasquatch in our language in about the mid-2000s when my wife Peggy introduced me in Kent, Washington to Finding Bigfoot and other TV shows. And I just shook my head saying, these people don't have a clue about Sasquatch, bumbling and stumbling and speculating, and they're just way off in left field. And she said, well, you can be a whiny Indian about it, or you can affect <laughs> positive change. Why don't you get on a podcast? So I didn't even know what a podcast was, so I reached out on the internet and emailed a few podcasters, and I was picked up, and the rest is history. I've done over 100. That's amazing. So what do you believe Sasquatch is? A perfect human. When Perfect I, human. When I listened to your intro about Melba Ketchum and her DNA results and so forth, and you made that statement that 15,000 years ago is when that break happened. Well, I think the break, the 15,000 years of evolution became, became us. And if you look out your window of your studio, look at all those vehicles expelling exhaust. Look at mm. the electricity that's produced. And just look at our urban sprawl, our overpopulation of this planet as a species. And you know, what using fire has gotten us, where Sasquatches from my teachings from other indigenous tribe, tribal people is they don't use fire, they have very strict laws, and they don't use our stuff that we make, like knives and spears and things like that, and, you know, stone tools they don't have. Mm -hmm. So to me, they're the perfect human, just that's, the human of the night. That's awesome. Now, what do you think Sasquatch is definitely not? It's definitely not what they say uh, yeah, what did about they flying say? in UFOs and jumping through portholes and turning into orbs and mind-speaking and cloaking. They are not that. They are creatures that leave tracks, that are seen harvesting food. They leave their fecal droppings in their urine. They have family units and babies. They are just a normal critter. So you don't believe they're a multidimensional being, as, as I've heard before? I Myself, I have never encountered it or experienced it, so mm -hmm. I won't go across into that side of the fence. Yeah. No? Okay. That's fair enough. <laughs> so what has your tribe learned from Sasquatch and vice versa? Oh, respect them. You know, Kwakwakiwak tribe of all the tribes that I've studied in North America, a.k.a. Sasquatch Island, because that's what I call it, North America. Well, the Kwakwakiwak's highest rank crest is Junoha. In order for a man to become a chieftain, he has to have a Junacha mask put on his face and dance. Mm. Then he's accepted as that clan territorial hereditary chieftain. And if you look at the art of the Junacha from the Kwakwakiwak people, from amulets, daggers, feast dishes that are 20 feet long with hollowed out bellies and breasts and hips where the food was put to the massive memorial poles and welcoming poles and all the cultural belief and significance of Junacha, no other tribe compares with that relationship, that tie to the Sasquatch. Yeah, so that bond is pretty ancient. Oh, yeah. Now, what about the medicine? Are they also exchanging knowledge of medicine? Well, we know of the shamans and most tribes that do release the information, they'll say that the shaman apprentices will disappear into the bush for months, if not years on end. Some of them never come back. But when the ones that do come back and bring the medicinal knowledge of the plants and roots and everything else, well, what they've done is they've sat down with Sasquatch. Because with the Omaha, for example, in Nebraska, their word for Sasquatch is Sitonga, mm -hmm. keeper of the medicine. And meeting a Omaha medicine woman, and we had a great conversation about her relationship and interactions with their Sitonga to learn medicine. That's really cool. <laughs> so I have to ask you, in my prior interviews with Sasquatch investigators, they have said that most natives aren't willing to share information about Sasquatch. Why are you so open to talking about Sasquatch? As I said, uh, someone needs to be their advocate. You know, you look what we're doing with uh, 
our environment, their homeland, their environment, you know, fracking, clear-cutting, strip mining, urban sprawl, the list goes on. You know, someone needs to speak up for them and say, hey, look, you know, they need to, you know, we need to look at what we're doing. And, and I firmly believe that our only chance as a species, us hairless humans, is we have to look back to the 1970s where that te- television commercial of the buck-skinned Indian came into an urban environment and saw all the damage and destruction and pollution. And at the end of the commercial, a tear is rolling down his eye, his cheek. Mm-hmm. That started Greenpeace, environmentalism, the green path. And we've lost our way with that. And I believe once we have conclusive proof of the existence of Sasquatch, we're really going to dummy up as a species and start protecting our environment. That's really great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I have to ask you, Tom, how long have you lived in the bush? Well, right now I live in a concrete environment with Peggy in Kent, Washington. <laughs> I try to get the bush as much as I can. Uh, I was in there probably 26 plus years. And uh, why do you choose to go to the bush? I got sick of the hairless humans, you know, always trying to prosecute me, persecute me, suppress me. And I only knew my true freedom was to walk away from the concrete world and go into my traditional territories, which has no, has an abandoned village. And I lived out there, but I worked, you know, I worked mm-hmm. tourism, watching logging camps in the winter time by myself, uh, commercial fishermen coming out, party in the bar for a couple of weeks after the fishing season and then head right back to bush again. And I kept like that until I guess met Peggy when I finally really came out for, but not for good. I'm just visiting. <laughs> she was helping to ground you. So what did you learn about yourself in the bush? I learned that I went rogue Sasquatch. I learned that uh, once I ran out of coffee and cigarettes, you know, it was an existence of hunter-gatherer like a Sasquatch. I just walked, reached, grabbed, bent down, rolled over logs or whatever, and I just continued to eat. And I learned not to use fire. Uh, You know, I couldn't use fire because it made me smelly and I couldn't get close to animals or stalk them. You know, I could do it, but not as good. And uh, one day I was coming down a hillside and I could hear the twittering voice of a female and I could smell coffee and cigarette smoke. And I walked to the edge of this where they were in a clearing and I pulled the branch down and I looked at them and saw the coffee and the sandwiches and the cigarette smoke. And as much as I wanted that, I just let the branch up and I carefully turned and walked away. I didn't want to interact with humans. So I know what Sasquatches are like. They hate us, loathe us, despise us, fear us, Hmm. as I did back in the early 1990s to hairless humans. And your senses, I imagine, were became heightened. Oh yeah, definitely. You 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 smell before anything else. And what did you apply? What was applicable to your own urban life that you learned in the bush? What did you bring back with you? I guess I brought back the understanding of where Sasquatch is at. You know how. Many native tribes, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, refer to Coast Salish tribes, refer to Sasquatch as the watcher. They're always watching you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're watching us because they don't want us to get near them. They don't want us to get near their families. And, you know, I think that's what I brought was their understanding of where they're coming from. It's interesting you say the watching because that seems to be the first thing that people say when they have an encounter is they feel as though they're being watched. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I would do the same thing when I was in bush. Uh-huh. You know, I'd see humans fishing or camping or sea kayaking and camping on the beach. And because at that time back in my life years ago where I was didn't want to be around them, I was watching them. Mm-hmm. You know? So it sounds like it also made you, being in the bush made you more elusive. Would that explain how and why Sasquatch is so elusive? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, one of the things I noticed, too, I, I think I... I belong to a society in the Kwakwakiwak people where we had to go on a solo during our initiation process for over 30 days in the winter time, And I think that's one of the things that called me back to the bush was that security, safety, and tranquility and balance out mm-hmm. there in the bush. But it also increases your aggression, just mm-hmm. like any other wild animal. Do you go up and pet a coyote if it comes close to you? Absolutely not. Rip huh. your hand up. You become more feral? Oh, definitely. Maybe I should be asking your wife. How you are when you come back from the bush. <laughs> so can you tell me, though, you, you had mentioned earlier to me that Sasquatch is, is in a tribe in itself. Is that correct? The other tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And so how does their tribe work? And do, will you ever see a female? They work like uh, Adam. 
You have the nucleus, you have the electrons and protons around the nucleus. The nucleus is the young, the female, the weak, the pregnant, the elderly, the sick. And around that are your hunters, harvesters, gatherers, and scouts. And then there's the rogues. You don't want to be near a rogue. That's a displaced clan Sasquatch leader that has gone postal. Something snapped in their heads, and that's why they're killing humans and why they're so aggressive Mm. and bigger. But the clan unit will be led by that male. And if you try to get close to the nucleus, you've already been bingoed by the scout or a harvester or a hunter, and they've morse code with a clack or a vocalization or a mimic of an animal, bird. And that whole unit's going to move like that nucleus, atom, and electrons. You're never going to get to the center. Do they stay around the same area, or are they nomadic and traveling hundreds of miles? I can only speak for the ones in Vancouver Island and the mainland off northeastern Vancouver Island, where Mm -hmm. I've spent most of my years. But our Sasquatches are clan territorial, just like we Kwakwakiwak and Lehuata tribes from our southern part of our nation. What we have out there between the pictographs, petroglyphs, uh, geological prominent points, uh, rivers, that is our clan territory since the dawn of our creation. And I feel and have seen through my investigation, Sasquatches are no different. They have their clan territorial territories, but they also do have a migration throughout with the younger generations because of the strengthening of the gene pool like any other creature with a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've also heard that they have celebration and ceremony. They what have your... to. They have to have powwow and potlatch and rendezvous because that's the only way you strengthen the gene pool. Mm-hmm. So when you converge your clans together and the young are out there having fun and whoopee, well, when they go back home pregnant, well, you have a strengthening of a gene pool. It's ekegekame, the creator's code, and we mm-hmm. must all adhere to it, every species. Awesome. So how many times roughly have you seen Sasquatch? Over 30. Over 30. <laughs> and have you ever seen the same ones? Yes. And I, how did you know? Oh, because I call him Crease uh, because he lives on an island called Crease Island, the next door, the other island. And he's a rogue and he's got an attitude big time. I've gone mushroom <laughs> picking, hunting, picking, digging shellfish on the beaches uh-huh. at low tide at night. And, If he's around, he's throwing things at you, vocalizing, trees slapping and breaking. He don't want any human, especially me, around him. Wow. Now, can you tell us about the time that you taught one a lesson? Oh, (laughs) there was uh, telling my crew when they're building cabins in 2011, 2012. When it was 2012, I was telling them in September, you guys tighten up. Something keeps stealing our garlic and our apples. I'm looking at around our camp in the bushes. There's pushes, meaning little trails being established, mm-hmm. observation stands where everything's crumpled down. I said, we have Sasquatches watching me. Of course, they sort of laughed and chuckled until they phoned me when I was out in the weekend, and they phoned me on the cell phone that sticks were being thrown at them from the bush, and, <laughs> and uh, they knew there were Sasquatches there. And then I put the face-to-face with a young teenager, Sasquatch, six foot two or bigger, but really lanky and lean. You can tell mm-hmm. he's a teenager, you know, didn't have a lot of wrinkles on his face, and we scared each other. And, and he was talking back. Yeah, he, he got scared. <laughs> he made noise. He, uh-huh. I, so did I. We both surprised the bejesus out of each other. But a couple nights later, I snuck out the window before dark and crawled to the bush, and I went into a big pile of alder leaves at the edge of our entrance to our trail, to our outhouse, and I watched that teenage Sasquatch coming down the trail looking at backs of my cabins. And he grabbed an alder tree with his left arm and he bent down off the berm about five feet high onto the trail. And looking at the back of my cabin, I come shooting out of that pile of leaves. Hey, Sasquatch, what are you doing? He looked at me, his eyes went huge, and he just, rah, jumps up, (laughs) pulls a tree, it snaps, his leaves fall, and looks at me again, and rah. (laughs) He was like spooked and mad, and Uh he took off, and I'm laughing away as I went back to the cabin thinking, yeah, you won't steal my garlic and apples again, you bugger. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what about the dad? Did the dad get involved? The next couple days later, we are building, working, building our cabins, and a non-native carpenter that was contracted by the chief and council, he's working away doing siding, and then all of a sudden I looked up in the bush, and it's now the end of October, so the leaves are falling, and uh, we saw a big male hiding in alder leaves, leaning against a cedar stump, and as we're looking at it with a scope from a rifle, not on the rifle, just a loose scope, at 3 by 9 power, he stood up, 
grimaced at me. You could see his muscles and tendons in his mm-hmm. neck turned, walked up the hill, disappeared, and we never saw him or his son again. So what I think happened was I turned the tables and showed that big Sasquatch and his son, I'm a way better busher than you two, and <laughs> they left the island. So that's what I wanted, peace. Yeah, and you definitely taught him a lesson. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about the phenomenon of people looking like their dogs. While dog and owner look-alike contests can be quite fun and amusing, are you really seeing a resemblance or is your mind just playing tricks on you? Japanese researcher and psychologist Sadahiko Nakajima says there is not only evidence to support the belief that humans can look like their dogs, but there is also a reason why, and he claims it's all in the eyes. Even an experiment he conducted in 2009 showed that people were able to match dogs with their owners simply by looking at photographs of their faces. And to determine which specific facial feature causes the pet human resemblance, Nakajima conducted another experiment involving 500 people who were shown two sets of photos. One set revealed pictures of real dog owner pairs, while the other set showed random pairings of people and their dogs. The participants were also randomly assigned to one of the five different masking photo conditions, that of no mask, in which neither the human nor the dog's faces were obstructed, eye mask, in which the human's eyes were blacked out, mouth mask, in which the human's mouth was blacked out, dog eye mask, in which the dog's eyes were blacked out, and eye only, in which just the eyes of both the human and the dog could be seen. The participants were then asked to select the dog owner pairs that physically resembled each other. As proven in his earlier experiment, participants who were shown unobstructed photos were able to correctly identify the dog owner pairs most of the time. When the owner's mouth was concealed, participants had a 73% accuracy rate. When either the eyes of the human or dog were blacked out, the participants' accuracy rate fell significantly to around 50%. Interestingly, when participants were shown only the eyes of the dog and the human, their accuracy rose to 74%. Nakajima concluded that people decide there is a dog owner resemblance by comparing features of the eye region between the dogs and owners. As far as why there is even facial resemblance between a dog and a human to begin with, the reason is a result of what is called the mirror exposure effect or the idea that a person might choose to get a dog who looks similar to themselves. Psychologists say we favor things that are familiar to us, explaining why we watch the same Christmas movies every year, or even why children tend to resemble the parent they favor. So if the general features of a breed of dog's face look like the general features of our own face, then that breed will instigate more of a warm and loving response from us, helping to pair us and create a loving bond right from the start. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just tuning in, I am having a discussion on one of my favorite topics, Sasquatch, with Tom Seward of Sasquatch Island. So, Tom, how do you figure out how many Sasquatch clan are in one area? Salmon spawning river. So if you have a major river with 10 tributaries, and they're spaced out quite a ways. Each one of those tributaries that has spawning habitat for salmon, shallow water, will have a clan of Sasquatches, one to who knows how many in each one. So Vancouver Island, and someone asked how many Sasquatches you think are on Vancouver Island. I've gone to the fish and game and looked at all of the salmon spawning rivers So and guesstimated at one and a half Sasquatch per salmon spawning area, we should have a population of well over 450 Sasquatches on Vancouver Island. Wow. Now, do they follow the food? Seasonal migrations definitely in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, this time of the year, we're in February, so they're down in the shellfish beaches. The Ooligan smelt are just starting to show in the Willamette down in the Columbia River area. So once those start coming in in March, then you'll have a migration from the shellfish beaches to the smelt ooligan areas. And then later on in March into April with the herring, they'll go out to the herring spawning grounds, which they spawn in three inches of water sometimes. So you just pick them up and eat them. And then from there, the big May tides come in for exposing shellfish and other foods at low tide zones. And then you have the the uh, 
berries and different plant mm-hmm. matter coming in. And as the snows recede in late June, the Sasquatches file follow the receding snow up into the alpines to get the carrion from animals that died in the fall before winter, as well as the fawn drop in the spring and early summer of all the ungulates. They capitalize on that, all the lush greenery up there. And then when they look down and see the backs of eagles and seagulls in the river systems below, it's time to migrate down after forest fire season because they're safe up there. They come down into the rivers again for salmon and repeat the whole cycle. That's so fascinating. They are super intelligent. See what I mean? But other investigators <laughs> don't have a clue. Right. That's what, because I've been an Indian for 57 years and a Bushman. This is why I became a Sasquatch investigator. I want to educate the humans that mm-hmm. are calling themselves researchers. You're not a researcher until you get a subject like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall. You're an investigator, a stumbling, bumbling, speculating investigator. You're mm-hmm. not a researcher. Mm-hmm. And then you have the ones calling themselves specialists on Sasquatch. Uh-huh. Come on now. Don't be pulling <laughs> my leg. <laughs> now, Tom, you had said that they're also migrating into the city. Urbanized Sasquatch. Yeah, is that new? No, it's something I stumbled upon because I was getting reports from people. I have something coming into my greenhouse, coming into my backyard, looking in my window and so forth. And then I started piecing it all together going, we're getting a lot of reports in the last 30 years to present about Sasquatches that coming out of the bush at the edge of our urban environment. And then you look at our urban environment at the edge of the bush world. You have your hobby farms and your farms. So you have the grains and all the feeds for your livestock and chickens. And then you have your compost, your gardens, your fruit, your pet food you're leaving out. Mm. And as soon as we turn our porch lights off or our downstairs lights off and then our bedroom TVs and lights go off and we start to REM sleep, deep snoring sleep and all of a sudden the Sasquatch just has to come and listen to the house and go, oh, they're sleeping, no lights on. Let's go into the chicken house. Let's go into the shed. Let's eat that dog food out of the thing and so forth. And that's what they're doing. So I don't even have to leave my backyard is what you're saying. Not Potentially. Pacific Northwest and Omaha. Yes. And why do you think sightings are so high here in the Pacific Northwest? Because there's a lot of people, too many people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're out there. <laughs> Now, I want to ask you, do you smell a Sasquatch before you see one? Not usually. You got to remember that the Sasquatch is using the wind and breeze to its full advantage. So it'll never be upwind of you. It'll be downwind. So not necessarily will you smell it. Or if you do stumble across one and spook it while it was sleeping or, you know, it did something wrong. It got, you got close to it. Then you can smell that really bad smell. They're they're like skunks. Uh, They've speculate that they excrete in their armpits from a gland like we have in our bodies because they are humans like us that they'll they have the ability though to let it go out like a skunk and that's when you get that gagging stink (laughs) watering eyes oh my god that's awful smell (laughs) now i've heard so that's the first time i've heard them using the wind but i've also heard that they use the water as far as that's why you've never see their scat oh you see their scat or you confuse it for bear scat Oh, no. You no. can tell the difference in most cases. But the general reason most people don't see scat is because, you know, most of the people we hear on talking about Sasquatch, they're using trails, mm, you know. Yeah. And the Sasquatch are in deep bush, and that's where you got to go and where I've lived. Yeah. So for those seeking or investigating Sasquatch themselves, what is the very first thing you recommend they do? Be smarter. Charter an Indian Sasquatch guide like me. there you go but really they should sit with the tribal people right oh absolutely you know look at lewis and clark when they came across uh, north america you know they would have been still stumbling and bumbling and being lost out there if they hadn't hired indians like sacajawea and others Mm -hmm. so no different if number one is respect we know we have to respect the sasquatch you don't ever think about hunting or killing it Mm -hmm. that's totally wrong would you go hunt your neighbor you know it's wrong you get punished for that it's called murder So the other one is, if you're going to go into a territory, well, number one, you're going to want to find out how to say, yo, weeksas, ungwa, chona, hello, how are you doing? I don't know who you are. What are you up to, Sasquatch? Mm -hmm. So because they're, I've enlightened everyone that they're tribal and they have their tribal territories that coincide with the indigenous tribal territories, they know the Indian language and some of the Indians back in the day were able to communicate with them. So if you 
want to go Sasquatch investigating, go to the Indian tribe, ask their protocol and permission to investigate in their traditional territories, and they might even invite you on the Indian Reserve. And then in turn, ask them how you say, hello, I don't know who you are. I come in peace. I mean no harm. And when you do get close to Sasquatch and you start using that Indian dialect, oh, you will be surprised. (laughs) Now, are most tribes allowing? Um, I can only speak for a few tribes, and they've told and you know they've told me that they're receptive. They don't mind. You know, we definitely want protocol and permission. So step forward and talk to them. Other tribes are adamantly they won't even speak on the subject. Like mm. even like with the bakwus, the little people, and which is a hair covered bipedal creature that's very small. You know, they call them stick people in Puget Sound. They won't even talk about them. Yeah, you know? and that was my actually my next question because I know you have knowledge of the little people. What are they? Well. My tribe, we call them Bukwas, and they're why, the reason why I became an investigator and working with television, podcasts, videocasts, because I got sick and tired of non-Indians saying the Quakatoodle Indians from northern Vancouver Island call their Sasquatch Bukwas. I'm not a Quakatoodle, I'm a Kwakwakiwak, and we call our Sasquatch Junakwa, not Bukwas. Mm. So that's one of the main reasons was to educate everyone. But they are... Um, from the spiritual realm, according to my tribe, I've had one incident with about half a dozen of them where I never saw them, but I could hear them <laughs> running through the brush. Uh-huh. And, you know, my hair stood up in the back of my neck. And I, if you measured my footprints, they were probably two, three yards apart because <laughs> I went down that <laughs> beach and I was just bounding. Are now Are they connected to Sasquatch at all? Not from whatever I've ever heard. They're, they're, I think they keep well clear of each other. Okay. Now, are there any skeptics in the tribes of Sasquatch? N- not within my Kwakwakiwak tribe because we're so tied to it. And mm-hmm. Junahua regalia being brought to life and dance and song, the Junahua and potlatches and other celebrations all throughout our art, our highest rank crest, our boogeyman. So in my tribe, no. But other tribes, I find that most people are very receptive and open to Sasquatch. We mm. just call them the other tribe. So I have to ask your wife, because your wife is here. Peggy, thanks for joining us. So can I ask you, were you a skeptic of Sasquatch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I uh, When he came down to uh, my home uh-huh. uh, for the first time, and uh, he was watching Finding Bigfoot, and he's almost throwing stuff just about <laughs> at the, the pillow at the at the TV. And he's like, they don't know anything about Sasquatch. And then that made me, he gave the impression like he knew Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And that is, from my world, crazy. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I uh, have this man who believes in Sasquatch in my home right now. <laughs> <laughs> I so uh, how do I how do I deal with this relationship? I really want and still have to reconcile that Sasquatch yeah. exists. And he asked me, "Do you believe in Sasquatch?" I was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> but then he brought me up into his world, yeah. and then I met his his uh, the people around him, the bushers, the loggers, the fish farmers, the other natives. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh my goodness, how could I be so self-centered and huh. egotistical to think they don't exist? All of these yeah, other why people. why wouldn't you believe, right? Right. And it's disrespectful uh-huh. not to honor what they know. Right. So, That's yeah, amazing. even though I haven't seen one, I respect the other people to know yeah. that they did see one. So yes, they exist. Now, how has the bush affected him? Now that your Uh-oh. wife's here, I can ask her. <laughs> don't, get me, don't get me mad. <laughs> oh, no. The bush gave him a rule book of how to keep strong. Mm. And it, uh, it, it was tied in. I, I learned about this when we were, uh, when I was working in an, a company where we were seeking uh, leadership training, mm-hmm. great sources for leadership training. And uh, Tom had just told me that... Um, Another company had just been up there, and they learned a canoe. They were in canoes, and they learned how to keep the tribe strong. Hmm. And there are some things that, um, you know, actions that would seem barbaric, Hmm. you know, in our society. But in their world, when you live in the bush, it's not barbaric. It's the law of nature. 
And so he's taught me about looking around in this world that I'm in, in the city, on how far off the nature's path we are. Mm -hmm. The deficit, yeah, Mm -hmm. that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have more awareness now? Very much more awareness. And how much time did you spend in the bush? I Well, from sea kayaking, I got to spend a lot more in the bush um, from... It was my escape from the city, mm-hmm. so I loved it. Um, and then when he brings me out, you know, we're on, you know, fish boats and yeah, uh, all kinds of places, logging roads, the end of logging roads, staying there in his camp overnight. So it's, yeah, it's more... F- it's f- Life-changing. Very. I bet. <laughs> so, and Tom, where did you spend, where did you go to the bush? Anywhere there wasn't a human and concrete. (laughs) Actually, my traditional territory is off northeastern Vancouver Island. I was a native watchman for my abandoned native village for two years for chief and council, and they didn't have any money, so I took over Village Island Tours and built an ecotourism business empire, basically, with my ex, the mother, and my children, Hmm. uh, up until we split in 08, but... uh, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, great to be out there because I can, you know, make money but be living in bush and yeah. at times just walk deeper in and get away from it all. And is that where your TV series came from? Yeah, because of Aboriginal Adventures Canada was originally called. Now it's Aboriginal Adventures. And, uh, you know, when we were doing that series, it was I wanted to get the word out of the Native peoples. You know, mm-hmm. everyone hears about... Uh, I'm from Australia, mate, and I'm a sea kayak guide mm-hmm. here in British Columbia waters. You know, that's not the real deal. You want to <laughs> hear, hey, my name's so-and-so. I belong to the Lehuata tribe. I'm guiding you now into my traditional territories. And at low tide, we can see a lohiwe, what we call a clam garden. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you want to hear. And that's why I wanted to do that TV show and why I advocate eco-cultural tourism so much in Canada and the U.S., that's great. You're educating and bringing the word from the bush. That's awesome. Beautiful world. <laughs> well, with that, we're going to take another break, but everyone stick around for more Love from the Hit. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles, one clinical facial at a time. Learn more, sakuraskinandmind.com, S-A-K-U. URASkinandmind.com. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you'll want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425-754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have Tom Seward of Sasquatch Island here with us. So, Tom, let's find out about the indigenous people. Dr. Ketchum 
had asked the government to not only identify Sasquatch as indigenous people, but also to protect them. And there is yet to be any response. Well, absolutely not. Because once the United States identifies Sasquatch, uh, conclusive proof, they'll find out it's the third indigenous tribe next to the Inuit and the North American Indian. And then you have the Bureau of United States Bureau of Indian Affairs and how many billions does that cost to run and manage Indians? Then in Canada, the Sasquatch will be the third indigenous tribe next to Métis, First Nations, and Inuit. And we have Indian and Northern Affairs Canada, which is a multi-billion dollar fiasco, Mm -hmm. and they always want more money. So that's about managing the indigenous. So they don't want it. And plus, you're going to have land claims out your window, the Olympic Peninsula. You know, you could see all of that and more throughout North America, Sasquatch Island, taken off the table for urban sprawl and development, fracking, mining, pipelines, mm-hmm. logging, the list goes on. Less so, money for the government. And that's why the government is eradicating Sasquatches like they did the Indians when they first came to North America. Well, tell us more about that. I haven't heard that before. I've seen a video and uh, of a helicopter, night vision, showing a Sasquatch what run left, right, left, right. And it jumped across a creek and it's looking up at the helicopter some 40 feet above and it just had terror in its eyes and face. And all of a sudden it went blank. After six times reviewing that film and on iPhone, I looked at the gentleman who let me see it. And I said, that Sasquatch was dead after that. And he goes, yeah. Hmm. And uh, we hear so many stories about Sasquatches that are, you know, being harvested, hunted by the military, disappearing, the men in black, men in blue in Canada. And then in turn, you know, we got an increase of urbanized Sasquatches moving out of the deep forest and coming to live in our backyards at night to eat our foods. Why? Hmm. Because they're being hunted like Indians were hunted. I firmly believe that. Wow, that's fascinating. Just like our animals moving into the city. Yeah, well, with Sas- when most of the animals, they ain't coming because they're getting bullets shot up. I don't hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So what do you hope for the future of Sasquatch and the tribes? I think that Native people have to make their choice and look at our poverty rates, our death by suicide, alcohol, and drug addiction that are higher than the national norms in Canada and the U.S. And we need to deal with socioeconomic and cultural prosperity for our people. And our leadership and people must say, okay, look, we know what whale watching, grizzly bear tours, sea kayaking, skiing, seasonal tourism brings into our communities. Right. The Sasquatch is a 12-month-of-year tourist draw. So if you bring people to the Indian reserves, as I'm teaching some tribes to have night vision apparatus, have your vehicles with night vision scopes for $30,000, take people out, show them the dances, the (laughs) art, the legends, stories, eat like a Sasquatch, harvest like a Sasquatch. You know, you're going to have a 12 month ecotourism generator of revenue for your people. And, uh, so is this part of the work that you're doing is trying to convince the tribes and the elders? Exactly. I'll be writing, a, I'm working on a code of conduct for uh, investigators and chance encounters with Sasquatch. And I'm going to be reaching out to a lot of tribes to bring that document to everyone's attention that we can't get so many hundred yards away from a whale. Well, we should have the same kind of re- regulation with Sasquatches. Mm. And here's the native Indians input from North America and then that allows us to be able to say, okay, now let's establish uh, the revenue generation. And we know if we see a Sasquatch, we can't close in maybe 500 yards. Right. So then you're sharing the rules and then the respect yeah. for Sasquatch as well. And, you know, if you come across a Sasquatch as I have and you see it, yeah, enjoy it for two or three minutes. Yeah. That's all you need. And back off. I wish back in the day I had a P1000 Nikon camera like I have now with Peggy. Because I would add some really crispy pictures of Sasquatches. (laughs) Yeah, there's not really that many great photos out there. It's mainly because most people aren't getting out there, Mm. you know. And the ones that are, the last thing they want to lug around is a big, heavy P-1000 Nikon with a tripod. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you think you run into Sasquatch when you're not looking for it? Me, it's different because I'm stealth mode out there in the bush. (laughs) But for normal people, most of the chances are going to be chance encounters. Um, Yeah. Something happened where the Sasquatch wasn't paying attention and allowed that human to get close. Fascinating. So let's switch gears here. I want to talk about your amazing art. Can you tell us more? Well, I do the Kwakwaki tribal art of everything, but I specialize in Jonahua Sasquatch. And if you go to Sasquatch Island on Facebook, which is my group, asked to join a lot of my arts there. Reach out to me in Messenger, Thomas Seawood on Facebook, or email me. 
And you just go to SasquatchIsland.com and you can find my email and reach out to me or my group. I'll be happy to share with you my art and hopefully you'll be able to buy your piece. Your artwork is amazing. Oh, have fun with it. (laughs) I I work with SasquatchLegend.com out of Forks, Washington, and they mass produce all my art and T-shirts and coffee cups and bath mats, puzzles, (laughs) all kinds of things. Wonderful. Now, can you tell us more about the Alaskan cruise that's coming up? Uh, September 4th to the 11th, leaving Seattle, uh, David Pilates and uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum are on board, and it's the first ever most historic 200 cam- cabins booked, over 100%, over half of them already booked up. Oh, wow. So for $1,000 per person, U.S. double occupancy in a cabin, go to uh, gatherupevents.com or Google the Alaska Bigfoot Cruise book. Pretend like you're booking to add mm-hmm. in all your things, beverage packages, uh, accommodation, whether you want balcony or whatever, uh, meal packages, and the Bigfoot package, and you'll see that your price will be this much per person. And now is it through the Inside Passage? All the way up the Inside Passage. Uh, we'll be performing, Peggy and I, in uh, stage on one of the days with our Junocha Regalia masks and uh, Regalia otherwise. AKA. Which is so worth seeing, by the way. <laughs> I yeah, love we'll it. perform that and then I'll be on deck with binoculars talking to people all day long and then at night we'll be up on the upper decks with flurs and some of the channels because I'm a commercial fisherman all my life yeah. I'm going to say look an hour from now we're going to be going through Lama Pass it's now 11 o'clock at night let's meet up top and see if we can flur up a Sasquatch on the beach or on the hillsides that's fun now what about any other summits you have coming up we have the Forks uh, Sasquatch Festival May 26th and 28th hosted by SasquatchLegend.com. Uh, May, beginning of May, have, looks like we're going to have the Merit Sasquatch Con up in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And from there, follow Sasquatch Island, the group, and you'll see everything I post where I'm going to be at a conference. Now, really quick, Tom, if people can't go to the bush, what do you recommend them, them doing? Respect your fellow Sasquatch. <laughs> and now, what do you do for Seattle folk if they can't make it to the bush? You can come on the Seattle Sasquatch Safari. Meet me downtown. We're going to go to all the Junacha Sasquatch things. And I'm going to explain everything, museums, art galleries, down by the Ferris wheel. And we'll end it in uh, Ivor Salmon House to eat like a Sasquatch, all the seafood. <laughs> Perfect. Now, can you share your website one more time? Sasquatchisland.com, Sasquatch Island YouTube channel, and Facebook group. Well, thank you again for being here today. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer, you the listener, KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip. And don't forget, stay kind out there, stay true to you, and make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya.